But um, I just have a word kind of laid on my heart uh, about walking in the spirit versus walking in the flesh. Something I prepared at the beginning of the year, and I've been sitting on it, sitting on it. And this week, I felt the Lord just highlight it to me as something that he wanted to kind of deliver into you as a people, as a community. Um, and hopefully in such a way that it helps us understand some of the wondrous mysteries of how God will ultimately save us. How God will work in us to produce his image and, and, and his likeness. And so we're going to dive in quickly because I want to get to a lot of ground with you. But it's kind of a bit of a Bible study, so let's enjoy it together. 1 Corinthians 15, verse 50. Um, and so, obviously, Paul is writing, and he says, So I declare to you, brothers, and as I'm, I'm making it very plain and clear, that flesh and blood cannot inherit the kingdom of God, nor does the perishable inherit the imperishable. Okay, so flesh and blood cannot inherit the kingdom of God. Of God, and nor can that which is perishable inherit that which is per- imperishable. Flesh and blood. What is he talking about here? What is this thing of our salvation, and how does it work? One of the things you will have seen recently is, um, and it's these great little one-liners that have truth in them, but often end up leading us into a bit of error if we don't think them through. You know, there's a I saw on Facebook a while ago. You know, the criminal on the cross that died next to Jesus and said, "Remember me when you come into your kingdom." And Jesus looked at the man and said, today, you'll be with me in paradise. And the question is asked, what did that man do to justify getting into heaven? All that he did is he said, remember me. And that was enough for that man, according to Jesus, to get into heaven. And so the theory then goes, what then do we need to do? Because if he just said, remember me, and that got him in, well, we also just remember me too, Jesus. And I'm in. And the question maybe in that moment, and remember, I've led a lot of people to the Lord on their deathbed. And when you are found in faith, when you, when you believe in Jesus, you are in if you believe properly. And somehow that man believed properly. The question I have is if that man got off the cross and lived another 30 years and lived as though he didn't believe, lived just the way he was. He was obviously a criminal that got him to hang on the cross in the first place. If he carried on the way he was, would Jesus have still have said, you're with me in paradise on the day you die? Or would it have been that maybe that man may have missed the goal of salvation? And so I need to distinguish that we are saved by faith in Jesus. We're saved by believing. But faith isn't just an object kind of, I believe, I believe. It goes much deeper than that. Because if I truly believe, it changes the way I think, and it changes the way I live. Faith will show itself at some point. And so, I, okay, I need to, I don't, I, I'm taking too long to intro this. And so we read that um, one of the things that God's going to do is when we believe, God starts a process in us. Um, and obviously the man on the cross died within maybe an hour of confessing faith. The Spirit of God could not work much more in him than he did because he's hanging on the cross. It's not like he could live his life and, and learn how to do the things that God wanted. But Jesus said something quite profound. He said when he was on the earth, and this is not in my notes, so he won't have it. John sixteen thirteen, he, Jesus said, it's better that I go. Because if I go, the Spirit will come. And when the Spirit of God, the third person of the Trinity we sang about, when he comes to the earth, he says, he will guide you. Into all truth. 
In other words, God would get down the cross, Jesus would down the cross, and the Spirit would then come, and He would come and live in us, and He would begin to do something in us. He would guide our hearts. He would steer us in a direction and lead us into all truth. And so again, if that man truly believed and received the Spirit on the cross, and he climbed off that cross, the Spirit of God in him would have started to lead him a certain way. And you would have said, Oh, he is a believer because we can see the evidences of Christ in him. But if he climbed off the cross and nothing changed, you would then say, well, the scriptures warn about a false faith. Even James writes, even the demons believe and tremble. In other words, they believe properly because they know who God is, but they're not saved because they can't appropriate faith into a lifestyle of remaining in him. Does this make sense? So, so, so salvation is, is something that happens, and it's something that continually happens, and then it's something that finally will really happen. I'm saved when I believed in Jesus 30 years ago. But I was being saved as daily I walked with God through, through the last 30-something years. And the Spirit of God began to guide my heart and change me and shape me, and I yielded to the Holy Spirit. But I'm not yet perfectly saved. I will be saved. When he comes back, I will finally, fully be like him. I'm more like him now than I was 30 years ago. You can ask Nicky Carson. He knew me 30 years ago. And he's more like him than he was 30 years ago. But we're not yet perfect. But we show that we are in him because we are more perfect than we were. I'm not saved because I'm more perfect than I was. Being more perfect just shows that I'm truly saved. Does that make sense? In other words, if you're not growing in your salvation, if you're not growing in righteousness, you must ask yourself the question, am I in him? Am I truly in him? And so Jesus said he would send the Spirit, and the Spirit is the key to salvation right now. He is the one on the earth working to make us saved, to to, to make sure that we remain in Jesus, to make sure that we grow up to be like Jesus. And one day he'll present us before Jesus, or before the Father. So... And then Paul begins to talk in in many letters, and I'm going to dig into it properly now, about this tussle that goes on in the heart of a Christian. Because when I got saved, I wasn't yet made perfect. And so there's Andrew, who my mom used to pray for. And I did give her gray hairs. There's the Andrew that went off the rails and got into drugs and into the occult. There's the Andrew that was selfish and self-centered and lived for himself and what felt good. And then Andrew met Jesus. And then there's another Andrew that appears, this Andrew that's been made alive in Jesus, that now has the gift of the Spirit. And this Andrew starts to grow in in love. He grows into being like God. But while I'm growing, there is still the old Andrew. Old Andrew's not fully dead yet. I mean, I'm killing him daily. The more I, the more I don't listen to him, the more I turn away from him, the more I become like Christ. And the, and the, the, the softer and the less powerful his voice gets. But I've still got old Andrew in me. He's not dead yet. And so I have to learn how do, how do, I, how do I remain? How do I let the Spirit guide me into the truth? And so and this becomes an important thing, an important question. How do we become holy? How do we become like God? Because that is the point of salvation. This feels like, is this too technical? Or, uh... All right, so Paul said something quite profound in Galatians 5 verse 6, and we're going to dig into Galatians a little bit. 
I think you've got the scripture. So he says, for in Christ Jesus, neither circumcision nor uncircumcision has any value. The only thing that counts is faith expressing itself through love. So he's talking here, obviously, to a Jewish people, a Jewish audience primarily, who are, um, or people who are trying to think they need to be circumcised like Jews to be saved. One of the theories in the early church was, that they fought hard against was, if you're truly saved, you'll be circumcised like Abraham was. The males among you will literally have their flesh cut, and that will be the sign that they saved. And Paul's fighting against that. He knows that the circumcision of flesh does nothing, but there is a circumcision that counts, and it's a circumcision of the heart. It's when the Lord God himself comes and puts the knife on a human heart and cuts away flesh. Like the flesh of a male, a young male would be cut off as an outward sign. Salvation only comes to an individual when God takes a knife and he cuts away your flesh. And so salvation is something when God, you know you're saved because flesh has been cutting away all the time. God has got the knife on your heart. And so repentance daily is the Lord coming and saying, you see this thing? This is flesh. Flesh and blood will not inherit the kingdom of God. And so the Spirit comes and applies the knife to the heart, and he guides us to put to death our flesh so that we can be found in the Holy Spirit. And that's a process of the human heart uh, that God has to work in us. And so outward circumcision means nothing, nor does actually, to be honest, just good works. A lot of people think if they're just really nice people, they're going to go to heaven. And no, that, that by itself can't save you. No one's going to be saved because they're nice people. Because God says, none of you are really nice. You all fall short of the glory. You all don't reflect what you should. There's no one righteous. No, not even one. But he says this. Paul goes on and says, the only thing that counts. The only thing that counts. Did you get that? The only thing that's going to count on that day is faith expressing itself through love. Faith expressing itself through love. The way of salvation, the way of sanctification is faith. I believe in the Father. I believe in the Son. I believe in the resurrection. I believe in the church. I believe that He sent His Spirit. I believe that He's made me righteous through faith. And that faith secures something in me. It changes me. And I, I remember, I remember getting saved. It was such a powerful moment, even though it was so long ago. That moment where I, I knew like I knew, standing before the throne room of God, that I was a sinner. I knew like I knew like I knew. Like people had told me that, and it just was like, ah, oh, you're just judging me. And when I came into the presence of God in that day, no man had to tell me because I saw myself and I saw him and I knew I was a sinner. You know, I, I knew. It, it was like, this went from like, who you to judge me to, oh my goodness, I'm dead. And then it went to, but God wanted me to be saved. And Jesus died in my place, paid fully for my sin so that I could receive his righteousness as a gift. And suddenly, standing in front of the church, the only thing that changed, like the criminal on the cross, was, remember me, Jesus. I need a Savior. And in that moment, God looked at me and saw this perfection of his son, Jesus, because Jesus paid for every sin I did. And so in that moment, I was suddenly perfectly holy. I mean, nothing had changed outside of faith. 
I'd walked in sexually immoral. I'd walked in living for sensual pleasure. I'd, but in that moment, as I really saw and I really believed, everything changed. And God saw me as righteous. And I, I walked into that church dirty and sinful. I walked out of that church perfect. But not yet perfect. I walked out with God saying, I've given you my perfection. You are holy as I am holy. And suddenly, sin that was all around me that was so attractive suddenly felt like an ugly thing that I didn't want anymore. And I started to love God and righteousness more than I loved my old sin. And I did love my old sin. I mean, living for yourself is fun. Sex is fun. I mean, that's why we do it. But I found a deeper thing, and faith began to express itself in me through love. My love for God, and then my love for my brothers. And this is the only thing that counts, is our faith. And so one of the ways that we become holy is to have faith. And until you have faith that realizes that you are given holiness as a gift, you can never be righteous. It's something that God... I don't want to use Bible, big theological words, but something that God kind of puts on you and you believe it. And when I say you believe it, it's not like, yeah, I think that's true. It's like, I know. I know that my sins are forgiven. I know that I'm counted amongst his beloved. I know that I'm now a son of God. I know that he loved me before creation. I know that he saw me in my sin. And I know that he came to die for me and would only have died for me. And I know today that He's calling my name before the Father and saying, I died in his place. I know that I have access to the throne room of God freely because Jesus has made a way for me. And I know all those things because the Spirit is now coming to me and starting to guide me and lead me and teach me who I am now in him. Is this making sense? I'm taking so long to say what I didn't want to say. And then the thing that counts is that this is expressing itself. This faith begins to show itself, reveal itself, express it itself through this new love that God's got in my heart. If, if, you don't, if people don't look at your life and say, oh, you're a Christian, you probably aren't. Because then faith is not expressing itself in love. People should look at you and go, you're one of those guys. Not because you wear a t-shirt. But because they see the evidence. Okay. So, and so coming back to this thing of how this works, because that is a process, and, and we, it's not a process that we don't always get perfectly right. God takes us from where we are, and he begins to transform us or change us into his image, that we become like him. And so you've got this thing going on inside when you get saved, and if you're sitting here today and you're a Christian, you've got two... Two opposing forces happening every day of your life. The one is the flesh, and the one is the spirit. You were given the spirit as a deposit when you believed. And so the spirit is in you, and he's trying to guide you into Jesus, trying to make you like Jesus, trying to steer you through life as things come. You know, circumstance comes, someone's ugly to you in the traffic, or someone steals your cell phone at church, whatever it is. And the Spirit is there to say, this is how I want to guide you through this. But while he's doing that, you've got another thing called your flesh. And let's quickly look at this in Galatians, and now we'll start to dig into it. Galatians 5.17 says, 
For the sinful nature, that old nature, or the flesh, this translation, the NIV says sinful nature, the word is flesh, it's just the old you, desires what is contrary to the spirit. And the spirit is contrary to the sinful nature. So you've got this fight, this tussle going on inside, and then it says they're in conflict or they're in war with each other. So I've got a war going on inside of me every day. This conflict. I've got my flesh, me, Andrew, the old Andrew, and the old Andrew wants his way. I want to act a certain way when things happen. I want to save myself. I don't want to lose myself. I want to be the best. I want, all the, I want a little taste of the glory. All those little things that Nacho Libre made famous. And then there's a spirit in me. And the spirit is saying, put to death the misdeeds of your flesh. Let Christ be revealed in you. And so there's this war, this conflict happening. And how many of you have felt that war when, you know, maybe you get hurt by someone or something happens or you get let down and, you, and the flesh and now the spirit's saying, okay, this is what Jesus would do. And he's in you now. This is what I want you to do. And the flesh goes, but if I do that, I'm going to be taken advantage of. But if I do that, then I'm going to get lost. But if I, and it, it starts, so you've got this tussle going on inside, these two appetites. And they're strong. They, they want you to do a certain thing. How many of you know it's kind of nice to call somebody a nana when they pull in front of you in the traffic? You don't have to dig deep, do you? When you see a taxi, you're sitting in the queue and the taxi just ignores everyone and just scoots down the yellow lane. What pops up inside of you? <laughs> You've been in the queue for an hour and a half and he just, he just ignores everyone and just you know, almost kills people as he drives past you to just, what pops up inside of you? This is the flesh. <laughs> South Africa! <laughs> Taxis! I remember once my wife got crossed at the taxi. I want to use her as an illustration. And she, this guy came and she went past him and went, and he pulled out a gun and she went. <laughs> so, <laughs> but it's easy to do that, isn't it? It's like, mm. And so you've got this thing. It's a flesh. It's you. It's the old you, and, and he wants to, that flesh wants to express itself. <laughs> and you've got the Spirit, which is the Lord Jesus that's now in you by the Holy Spirit. And Jesus said this, remain in me and I'll remain in you, and you will bear much fruit. So as we, buy, as we remain intimate with Jesus, it's easier as we remain intimate with him to allow him to express himself through us. It's like if I'm holding hard, come stand here, move. you can be Jesus because you're close to him. If I'm holding tight onto Jesus, I'm holding tight, then no matter what happens, when Merv moves, and you can move two steps to the right, it's kind of easy for me to just get, because Merv's moving to the right. But if I lose my intimacy with Jesus, and Merv moves to the right, it's a whole lot harder to move. And maybe he's moving, and I'm not even aware of it anymore, because I've lost my intimacy. And so Jesus said, remain in me, and I'll remain in you, and if you remain in me, my fruit will become your fruit. What I do will become what you do. And so the, 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 the way the kingdom works is through intimacy with God. It is the only way that you can be a Christian. You cannot be a Christian in theory. You remain a Christian in intimacy. Intimacy reveals that you're in him. Thank you, Merv. Does that make sense? 
And so even when I'm in Merv, you see, here's the cool thing. When I'm hanging on to Jesus and he does something and I end up hanging on it so it comes through me, I can't say it was me that did it. It was him and me that did it. It was Christ's love in my heart. Okay, you're with me. So, and then Galatians goes on to say, um, in 5.17, Galatians 5.17, there is light. Galatians 5.17. They're in conflict so that you do not do what you want to do. So you've got to realize part of being a Christian means going against your own wants sometimes. There are times that you will have to go against the inclination of your heart, the way you want it to be, the way you would like it to work out. There's this conflict. And then he says in 5 verse 24, those who walk in the Spirit have crucified the sinful nature with its passions and desires, which means one of the things that happens in us as Christians is we find our own little hill to die on, and we carry our own cross up that hill. And when we're on that hill, we take the old Andrew that lived for pleasure, that did what he wanted to do, and we nail that Andrew to the cross and die with Jesus. So when I was sexually immoral and I got saved, sexually immoral was still part of my nature, it was, I trained myself to do that. But I had to begin to fight what I wanted to do. And so I had to take that thing and bring it to the cross over and over and over again and nail my, my, my lust to the cross and cause my lust to die so that eventually it's so dead it's got no hold over me anymore. Or I can feed my lust. Every man has got to guard his eyes. Because what you look at with your eyes will eventually translate through you. The eyes are the window of the soul. What I let in will eventually start to form what's inside. So if I look at a woman with lust, well, Jesus, I've already committed adultery, but I can guarantee you this. If you keep looking at women with lust, eventually you are going to fall into some area of sin. Because that thing grows in you and it begins to kill you. Does this make sense? So the battle starts early stages. I remember driving down the road with Joey Calhoun in the early days of our salvation in P.E. Beachfront, and there were girls walking around in bikinis. And before, we would have gazed and gawked. But now, the spirit in us was saying, and I remember laughing because Joey and I, if there was a girl there, we would look this way, both of us. We'd drive down the road with our heads turning the same way, because we wanted to remain in Christ. We did not want to give our flesh. I mean, there's a part of us that wanted to look. Still is a part of me that wants to look. But I can't afford to open that door, because I want to crucify my flesh. Okay, so we kill it daily. And it's, I'm using obvious sins. We'll dig into some other ones that Paul's going to teach on just now. So, um, Galatians 5.16 See, the danger is this. Flesh gives birth to flesh, gives birth to gives birth to sin, and sin gives birth to sin, gives birth to death. So there's a warning for you and me that you can still die even though you're alive. There's a warning. 
At some point, if you keep giving in to the sinful nature, you will not inherit the kingdom of God. You have to put to death those things. Um, and so in Galatians 5.16, I think I said, so I say, live by the Spirit and you will not gratify the desires of the sinful nature. So I live by hanging on to Jesus and allowing the Spirit to lead me and guide me. And I don't give in to my, my flesh, my spirit, um, because I want to I be saved. I want to go to heaven with Jesus. I want to be the criminal that when I climbed off that cross, you saw clear evidence that my faith was expressing itself in love. All right, so let's jump in quickly. So Paul says this in verse 15 of Galatians 5. So if you keep on biting and devouring each other, watch out or you will be destroyed by each other. So now Paul's saying in the church, it's possible that you let your flesh nature get away with you. Get a bit angry or bitter or frustrated with someone else. And when, you, when that starts to happen, that starts to cause you to bite one another. What is, have you ever seen children bite one another? It's like the ultimate frustration. And he's using the word term bite because we can bite other people without, you know, you can do it. How do I bite somebody? Ah, nervous. Why does he always do it like that? A bite. And I start to devour one another. We start to hurt one another. And so it's possible in the church that we give into the flesh. And even among us that there's brothers that will give into the flesh. And invariably the flesh will manifest itself and they'll start to bite and devour others. And if we respond badly, we also respond in the flesh. They hurt me, I'll hurt them back. Then we start biting each other and devouring each other. And we end up eventually destroying one another's faith. We destroy one another. You got it? So how many of you know if the Bible says this, iron sharpens iron, so man will sharpen man. The place where you're going to find your most offenses are going to be with the people that are closest to you, which is? Hey, look around. This is where the spirit and the flesh fight starts. Look around you. In fact, the closest person to you is normally wife, husband, kids, and then friends. And then people that aren't friends, but they're in the church. That's where this fight really goes down. And so a lot of people just say, I want out of the church. I feel so free now that I'm out. I'm like, obviously, because now you're just living according to the flesh. You don't have to deal with anything. But if you want to go in Christ-likeness, you're going to get close to people and allow the Spirit to cause those things to surface in you so that you can put them to death and become more like Jesus. In other words, if someone's ugly to you, you should be going, thank you, God. I've got an opportunity to grow in the Holy Spirit. Not, did you get that? <laughs> I'm drilling you. All right. So let's jump down. All right, verse Galatians 5, 16. And then I'm going to, I think it's 16 to 17 and 18. What am I doing? Yo. So I say, live by the Spirit, and you will not gratify the desires of the sinful nature. For the sinful nature desires what is contrary to the Spirit, and the Spirit what is contrary to the sinful nature. They're in conflict with each other so that you do not do what you want. But if you are led by the Spirit, you are not under the law. And what? 
Why are you bringing law into this? What's the law got to do with this? Law is the Old Testament commandments that I have to obey perfectly. Otherwise, um, well, I'm in trouble. And no one can obey it perfectly. So now he's saying, he's actually in a sense saying, if you truly save, then you keep in, in Jesus and keep in the Spirit. You're going to not be in the law. But if you give in to the flesh all the time, the danger is you might actually eventually stand before the law again. Because you drifted so far in your intimacy that there's no life in you. There's no faith in you anymore. Because sin kills faith. How many of you have found when you sin that your faith feels really strong? It's with your heart you believe. The Bible says, God, your heart, it is the wellspring of life. So when God puts faith into you by the Spirit, he says, God, this deposit. God, the deposit of the Spirit. And so as you guard it, there is a sense of my faith is secure and strong. The, the Holy Spirit is burning brightly in me. But if I quench the Spirit, if I put out his flame, if I give in to sin and sin and sin, and it looks like this. This is how you give in to sin. How many of you have seen great leaders fall recently in the church? Some of the biggest names around the world. How did that happen? I mean, these were men that planted significant works, saw tens of thousands of people saved, drove demons out, healed the sick in Jesus' name, have a testimony and legacy of, of 30, 40 years of fruitful ministry, and then they fall. You think, how? Ah, simple. At some point, they began to sow to the flesh. At some point, they began to flirt with the secretary because it felt nice when she flirted back. At some point, they began to look at something they shouldn't have looked at. And so sin starts to draw them. And now, because they, they're feeding that thing, the Spirit's voice gets quieter and quieter and quieter. Because they're quenching him. They're putting him out. So at the start, when you sin, it's like, hey! But if you carry on sinning, it goes, hey, hey, hey. So you can't hear him. You put out his fire. You quench the Spirit. That's what the Bible calls it. Now all that you've got left is your sin nature. And your sin nature is drawing you stronger and stronger as you're feeding it. There's now no longer even the Spirit saying, stop, 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 because you put out his fire. And sin gives birth to sin, gives birth to death. Sin starts to harden your heart. It's hard to pray. You're starting to get frustrated with your brothers. And your heart is drifting more and more into death. Until eventually, there is no longer saving faith in you anymore. You killed your faith. Sin killed your faith. Sin has now borne its full fruit and it's led you to death. And then God might pull out the big guns and some of these leaders might be the discipline of the father to wake them up again. Suddenly the girl that they slept with speaks out. She can't handle it anymore. And the leader is suddenly exposed and his world collapses. He's humbled again. And maybe, just maybe, he might through that process cry out to God, and come back into the faith. And be saved. Or, like Judas, who the Bible says shared an inheritance with us. Had a place among us, the disciples said. He had a place, an inheritance with us. God had an inheritance for him, in other words. This was something God had for him. God gave him a place. God made him an apostle. But because he didn't guard his heart. When he took offense and when he loved money too much. Eventually... He hung himself and was accursed. And God and the disciples said, let his place be taken by another. 
Let's find someone else to take fill that role. He killed his faith. Does that make sense? Judas went to hell, not just because of his sin, because we all sin and fall short of the glory of God. Judas went to hell because he did not, at the end, believe. Because he killed his faith. Okay. This is very technical. <laughs> so we've got to guard this. We've got to fight this. Because every day is a fight. Paul says, every day I have to crucify my flesh. And I don't know about you, but I feel the same. It's like every day I've got to like... And so he starts to talk about now how this plays out. And it's very clear. Um, he's talking down to Christians. And he's warning them that they can sow to one of two natures. And in Galatians 5, 19 to 20, he starts with the bad. And then hopefully we'll have time. We'll end with the good if you sow to the spirit. So he starts to say, if you sow to the flesh, if you sow to your sinful nature. Um, in other words, you start listening to that root. If that's the root that you're drinking, drinking from, if that's the fountain that you drink from. Then, then it starts to reveal itself by its acts. And so if I sow to the, to the flesh, this is what starts to come out of me. Sexual immorality, impurity, and debauchery. Let's, I'll read it quickly and then we'll jump in. Impurity and debauchery, idolatry and witchcraft, hatred, discord, jealousy, fits of rage, selfish ambition, dissensions, factions, envy, drunkenness, orgies, and the like. I warn you, he's talking to Christians, as I did before, that those who live like this will not inherit the kingdom of God. In other words, if you go down that road, you're not going to inherit the kingdom of God. He didn't say inherit in the kingdom of God. He says you're not even going to inherit the kingdom. It's not just your inheritance, it's... You're not even going to be part of his inheritance. Then he says this. Let's jump in. That sexual immorality. What does that look like? I was amazed. We did uh, questions and answers recently. And for the first time, maybe since Adam, women are starting to battle with with pornography as much as men are. You think, what? It's natural for a man. he's he's, He's wired to be that way more than a woman is generally. But somehow perversion has become so strong in our generation that both male and female are now struggling with sexual immorality. The word is pornea. It's where you get the concept of porn, pornography, um, lust, sex before marriage. It's that thing that starts to grow. So here's what, it, what he's saying. He's saying if you sow to the, to the flesh, you're going to start looking at pornography. You're going to start getting bound by that thing. And then pornography will start to rule you. Who's been ruled by pornography before? To be ruled by means you become its slave. It's so strong on you that you can't, it feels like you can't break free from it anymore. Have you ever felt that? I feel like this thing is ruling over me now. I, I, how do I get out of this thing? It's, every time I stop and I think my, my mind goes there, it's, I'm, I'm sowing to the carnal nature. And I must stop. I must put to death that thing. Because every time I go there, if I don't run back to God quickly in repentance, I'm starting to damage my faith. So I want to run back to Jesus and know that I have an advocate who ever lives to pray for me. I've got one who will stand in my defense. But Lord, don't let my heart get hardened by sin. Forgive me, God. And I keep running back to him and finding grace in my time of need until I win that battle. And for some people, that battle might last a year. For some people, it might last a moment. But you better fight that battle. Don't give in to it. Because if you give in to it, you're going to die. You got it? Impurity. This is an interesting one. It speaks of a. It's it in in a sense the word speaks of something that is looks pure but it kind of isn't. 
So in 1 Thessalonians 2 verse 3, Paul uses this word and he says this. For the, he's talking about being a true apostle and he's comparing himself to bad ones. And he says, for the appeal we make does not spring from error or impure motives. There's that word. Nor are we trying to trick you. So what he's saying now is sometimes in the church even, we can even minister with, with impurity. In other words, impurity is just some dirt in a cup that, that makes the whole cup dirty. So you can do a good thing with an impure motive. And then it becomes fleshly. So how does that look? Well, it looks like this. As a young man, I knew God had called me. And I wanted to serve him so badly. I remember watching people preach. I saved a few weeks. And something in me was like, God, I feel like that's part of my destiny. So then what I did was I thought, how do I get into my destiny? And the guy said, well, you've got to be a servant. You've got to serve. We want to see how you serve. So I went... Oh, so the way to become a preacher and a leader in the church is to serve. Okay, then I'm going to, I'll serve, but my motive isn't love. My motive isn't care of others. My motive isn't contentment with great faith. My motive is selfish. My motive is one day they'll see me. And so I come and I do a godly thing, make pancakes, make coffee, putting out chairs, praying at the pre-meeting. But actually I've got an impure motive. And so my impure motive corrupts the very thing that I'm doing. And I'm sowing to the flesh even while I'm doing spiritual things. And so we have to get like David, search me, O oh God. Know me, test my thoughts. Lead me in the way of life. Because sometimes it's hard to discern those kind of things inside of ourselves, isn't it? One of the things I was chatting with the elders recently, I said, are you content where you are? Firstly, are you serving? Because that's one of the things that is a fruit of the Spirit. And if you are serving, why? Why? Because this is a way to show love to brothers. And if it is a way of showing love, you'll be happy to do that for the rest of your life. Or are you serving because deep down inside you hope there's more for you? Because if you're doing it with that motive, it's an impure motive. It's a selfish motive. Does it make sense? If I'm serving to advance myself, then it's selfish ambition, which is one of the later things that he's going to talk about. Another thing he says is debauchery, which is unrestrained living. Go where your heart goes. Go where your heart goes. Unrestrained living. You don't allow the word of God to constrict you. You don't allow the spirit to bind you. And so you just give yourself over. Debauch ultimately is when you start to just do whatever feels good. You would say of a person who's now getting drunk and partying and He's living a debauched lifestyle. But that's got degrees of debauchedness. It just means living beyond the bounds. Okay. Are you living within the bounds or are you living beyond the bounds? Are you going where your heart goes? Or are you a servant of the Lord that goes where the Lord goes? Okay. Idolatry. Verse 20. Idolatry. It just means loving something more than God. Here's how you know it's an idol. Because it's the thing you plan your calendar by. The priority of your life. What is the priority of your life? The Bible says, for example, don't forsake the gathering of the saints. The elder said, 
that, that write down that date, 4th of May, I think it was. It's on my diary. I can't remember dates. I've written it down. They said that's important. As a part of the Holy Church, I'm going to obey my leaders. It's important. If it's important to them, it's important to me. That's a priority to me immediately. It always was because I knew this was the way of the Lord. If someone came and said, hey, we're going to go and do something on Sunday. Let's go mountain biking on Sunday or surfing on Sunday. No. Because the Lord determines the priority of my life. In fact, I remember my parents getting frustrated in the early days. Because I used to say when we had conferences or things that I knew were important, I used to say to them, can we compare diaries? Because if it comes down to a birthday part of the family or a conference within the movement we were in, that I needed, I'm, I'm going to the conference. Because for me, the priority is the king and the kingdom. My daughter's birthday has been celebrated at many different dates. We'll celebrate it. But they can't stop the world from my birthday parties. So we'll just celebrate it a week later. Because the priority is the kingdom of God, not the birthday. For goodness sake, if it's a week late, it's a week late. No, but it's my kid's birthday. So just, they don't even know the dates most of the time. You could just tell them it's that date. <laughs> as long as there's cake and there's friends, they're stoked. <laughs> But for me, my priority was king and kingdom. <laughs> what is your priority? What do you live for? What is the thing you set your diary? And remember, maybe, what is the thing that you, you your values? What are the most important blocks you put in your week? Because that shows you what you worship. I've heard it said of kids' sport. It's often happening on Sundays nowadays. I think because the church is just compromised. So if all the kids in the church went, Sunday, sorry, it's the Lord's Day. You watch how everyone changes the date. Because when I was young, no one did it on Sundays. Because they knew no one had come. But now because society shifted, now it's like, well, my kid's going to be a pro BMXer or pro whatever it is. Surfer. And, like, and I'm like, seriously, like, pro BMX trumps king and kingdom. Yeah. Your priority is revealing what's invaluable. Witchcraft. Magic. Here's an interesting thing. A lot of people, we were taught this. It's not often taught anymore. You know, witchcraft is, is using supernatural power to get what we want. And there's a few things that are very prevalent today in our culture that is witchcraft, according to the Bible. Ouija boards, yoga, some martial arts, acupuncture reflexology, these are all Eastern in their roots. These are all working more around senses of power than around science and logic. But they're forbidden. They are magical. They are, um, it's interesting, all of them come from the East. MC was just showing me this morning, Isaiah 2 verse 6. Listen to this. It's quite interesting. And obviously it's, it's, it's just coincidence to some degree, but it, it is similar. You have abandoned your people, the house of Jacob. Here, Isaiah is saying to God about Israel, the house of Jacob. They are full of superstitions from the east. They practice divination, just like the Philistines, and clasp hands with pagans. Do you know that you can get demonized because you do yoga? I've driven demons out of people because of that. Your kids, when they do little martial arts things and they... Learn to draw on occult power to get more power in what they're doing. 
These are things that are forbidden in the scriptures. They've just become normal. But the Bible says we don't practice those things. Um, and here's an interesting one. Because ultimately God's got an issue with the root of this. So in 1 Samuel 15, 23, God says something quite profound. For rebellion is like the sin of divination or witchcraft. Hang on. So rebellion is like the sin of witchcraft. And arrogance like the evil of idolatry. Rebellion being not doing it God's way or not doing it the way of those that God's placed over you. And idolatry is like uh, arrogance, like the evil of idolatry. So these are things of the flesh that actually are very big to God that don't need to be to us. Hatred. Intense anger, intense feelings about a person. Do you have anyone, saved or unsaved, that is an enemy that you hate? Like when I think of that person, I feel... <clears throat> Normally it's because of something they did to you. Something that is unjust, something that is unfair, something that is horrible. But that doesn't give us the right as Christians to sow to the flesh. Because the flesh responds biting with biting. The flesh devours back. But the Spirit is the way of Christ who offers his cheek to those who pulled out his beard. Jesus said, so I say, love your enemies. It's really hard to hate someone that you love. So how many of you felt hatred towards somebody? <laughs> it's just, it, it, it rises up, doesn't it? It feels like a fire in your belly, doesn't it? It's your flesh. You cannot do what you want. You must come to the Lord. You must put to death the misdeeds of your flesh. You must crucify that thing. You must get before God and say, God, give me your spirit so that I can love as you love. Because I want to be like you. I want to be one who's led by the spirit, not led by my flesh. So if you hate anyone, you've got a problem. Just maybe sit down and go, who do I hate? If you see a person and you feel that, you know, that's it, that, that's the guy. That's the guy. Now you know you've got to do business with God because you can sow to your flesh or you can sow to the Spirit. You see, Christ is trying to teach you. The Spirit is trying to teach you how to be more and more like Jesus. Discord. This is just divisions, arguing. As I was sharing with the elders recently. The Bible says, be slow to speak. That includes the extroverts and those who process verbally. Be slow to speak. Your opinion isn't that important. You don't need to create discord. Discord is someone rising against somebody else so that there's no longer one sound being played. It's two sounds. Somebody says, I think we need to do, the elders say, we need to do this as a church. And you play a different note. Discord. It's sowing to the flesh. You don't understand the place that God's put you in. You don't understand that this is not your call to make. It's theirs. They'll give an account. You'll give an account for how you obey and submit to the authority. Discord. Strife, arguing, divisions. And this happens in the church. In 1 Corinthians 1.11, Paul writes, My brothers, some from Chloe's household have informed me that there are quarrels among you. quarrels among you? Are we fighting amongst ourselves? 
Do we need to be right? I was sharing with the guys recently. I'm feeling like I'm, running, I'm losing you guys now. I was sharing, I was feeling recently like um, as a younger man, I remember coming out of a Pentecostal church movement into an apostolic household and realizing that the leaders over me just carried a grace that I didn't carry. And I recognized that. And so I remember posturing my heart a certain way. I used to go like this. I'm probably wrong if I disagree with him. My posture was this. He's, he's, he's called to disciple me. So, so if he says something that I don't agree with, it's probably because I need to change. Because I'm supposed to learn from him, not him from me. So I postured my heart as one of teachableness. And when he said things that freaked me out, which he did sometimes. What about this scripture? What about that scripture? Instead of using scriptures to create discord, I realize I'm probably not understanding this properly. Because he's a sharp man and he knows what he's talking about. And I've postured my heart of help me to understand I'm, I, I, I've got lost here. Not, no, 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 but the scripture says. But help me understand why you're saying that scripture. I, I, I'm not seeing it yet. Help me. And my posture was one of imprint. Jealousy. Interesting, the word is um, zealous, where you get the concept of zeal from. But it's selfish zeal. Um, who, who, who's leading a home group and the group down the road is cooking and yours isn't? They're just growing every day and just like, and, and sometimes, and you, you hear their people and they're like, you know, you come together at the elders and they're like, how did your week go? And they're like, we had three people saved. One guy was raised from the dead. Demons are cast out. How is your group? Uh, we got this moaning 35-year-old, it's just, and, and you can start to feel even jealousy. You can feel jealousy of other people's things. Why does he have that and I don't have it? It's flesh. Why is he a leader and I'm not? Jealousy. Fits of rage. Who's felt fits of rage? Seeing red. I remember as a young man, I battled with this. I fought once. I used to fight a lot. And I remember once I was about 11 years old and I fought a 17-year-old boy. Needless to say, I remember hitting the dirt a lot of times. And I, the more he hurt me, the more angry I got. Until eventually I remember, I still remember this. I was literally 11 years old. At some point I kicked into a fit of rage. I didn't care if I killed him. And there was a brick lying on the ground. And in a fit of rage, I picked up the brick. And I smashed it against his face. Bah! Fit of rage. Sometimes in our marriage we have fits of rage. But there's fit of rage. Dissension. Selfish ambition. I've mentioned that. Dissensions. Standing apart. People leaving churches. Factions. Now we get a bunch of friends to believe what we believe. The elders are wrong. And we all agree. We've created a faction. And it feels so right because we are so concerned for the church and where it's going, but actually you've just created a faction you've sowed to the flesh. Yeah, heritage, talk about factions, the church they come from, literally tore in half because the group thought they were doing God a favor and rose up to try and get rid of the pastor. And they were in that, and I was in that with them. Created a faction, a selfish faction, and that thing was devouring, it was ugly, they'll tell you, ugly. People that had served God for years became bitter and angry and threatened court cases and Envy, 
drunkenness, and orgies versus the Spirit. And I'll do this quickly. But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace. Verse 22. Patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. Let's dump in quickly into those and we'll finish. And I'll run through this quickly. Love. This is what it is to be in God. When you come together with the people or with your wife, with your husband, love is a God in this. It is giving to the undeserving one who's in need with no thought of reward or recompense. In other words, I'm coming here to love people, not expecting anything back. I'm going to love her whether she gives back to me or not. I'm going to love you whether I get back anything or not. It is purely a devoting of myself and giving of myself. Imagine if everyone in the church just did that. Everyone came to give, not to get. No one ever said, there's no love here. Because they're so busy giving it, they can't say that. You see, by saying there's no love here, you're actually saying, well, you're sowing in the flesh, aren't you? Because you're measuring the church by what you're getting, not by what you're giving. Joy. Joy. That's a fruit of the Spirit. Joy. Why? Because I know circumstances don't change my standing in God. I have a joy. You can tell me bad news, it won't affect my joy. Because I know him who saved me. Peace. And I'm running through this very quickly now and we'll finish. Freedom from worry. It sees God in the storm. I've lost my job, but I've got peace. Because I'm sowing to the Spirit. The flesh says, you're in trouble. The Spirit says, Lord, either you teach me something and then I need help me to learn. Elders, am I doing something stupid at work? Or the Lord's going to take me on a journey to teach me something. Patience. <laughs> long suffering. How long am I until I get out of this? I'm patient. When am I going to meet Edith? I'm patient. When is my husband going to change? When Jesus returns. <laughs> All right. Kindness. Being nice. Just being nice. I love to, I just think of others. I'm considerate about others. I, I'm kind. I, I, naturally, when you're with me, there's a niceness come out of me. I'll be interested in you. I'll be kind to you. I'll try and help you because the Spirit is in me and He's been kind to me. Goodness. Doing the right thing the right way. Faithfulness. I'm trustworthy and dependable. In sickness and in health. Remember the promise people make at marriage? In sickness and in health, I'll be faithful. And two years into the marriage, I'm out. Lack of faithfulness. But you don't know how bad she is. Lack of faithfulness. Be faithful. You don't drift in and out of relationships. Gentleness. Humility is actually another word for this. Some translations say the word humility instead of gentleness. It speaks of a meekness that is essentially an attitude or quality of heart whereby a person is willing to accept and submit without resistance to the will and desire of someone else. Meekness. I'm easy to lead. Easy to lead me. I'm carrying a posture of how I'll go with you versus I don't know. If. And then uh, self-control against such things. There is no. In other words, I'm in control 
of the steering wheel of my life. I don't get, nothing takes me captive anymore. I don't get, I don't stay under the control of fear or anxiety or lack of peace. I have control. I've got self-control. I've learned how to win this thing. And this comes by uh, sowing to the Spirit. All right. And so, here's the thing. This place that you're in is the place where you'll be tested on these things. In your marriages, with your children, in the community of faith. And this is a place that you must learn to live by the Spirit and not according to the flesh. Because if you live by the flesh, you're going to die. But if you live according to the Spirit, well, you'll grow up to be like Him. And we'll grow to be like Him. And the world will know that we're His disciples because we love one another. But these are things that we have to, in some ways, allow the Spirit of God to lead us. And we have to listen to Him and put to death misuse of the flesh. One of the concerns I've got is some of us have stopped listening to the Holy Spirit's voice. We've got so far down the road in a certain thing that this is just now who we are. This is who I am. This is how I react. This is how I respond. And even if the Spirit was saying to you, no, you're not even hearing him anymore. Because he says, Jesus said that he will send the Spirit who will lead us and guide us into truth. And he even says in one place, you will hear a voice behind you saying, this is the way. Walk in it. The kingdom of God comes through intimacy with, with, with God himself, through Jesus Christ. And, uh, and so I'll finish with the scripture. Just read it and we're finished. Galatians 5, 23 to 25. <sighs> Not this one. Um, yeah, actually it is. Okay, those, verse 24. Those who belong to Christ have crucified the sinful nature with its passions and desires. Since we live by the Spirit, let us keep in step with the Spirit. We live by the Spirit. So let us keep in step with the Spirit. I want to ask you a question as I close. Are you filled with the Spirit? Are you hearing His voice? Is Christianity a theory to you? Or is it a reality of a relational thing with God? Are you hearing His voice where He's speaking to you? Where He's bringing conviction of things that you're doing? That you're hearing him say, ah, 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 don't go there. That you're sensing his power helping you to make decisions that are going to be born of the Spirit and bear the fruit of the Spirit. Or is your life more and more just bearing the fruit, or some aspect of your life, bearing the fruit of the flesh? Factions, dissensions, all these different things. I feel like the key to the kingdom is this. So what I want to do is I want to pray with you. And... Um, why don't you stand with me? It went a bit long, sorry. I was an hour, but it was quite technical. Not a lot of examples. Let's close eyes. Those who are led by the Spirit are the sons of God. Those who have put to death the misdeeds of their flesh. If you had a day... God has called you to belong to him. God wants all men to be saved. And God wants you to be saved. And what he's done is he's died on a cross for you to forgive you of your sin. 2,000 years ago when Jesus died on the cross, he took the sin of the whole world upon himself because there was no one righteous, no, not even one. 
All the Bible says have turned and fallen away. All of us have become worthless. The Bible tells us that the consequence of these actions, these fleshly things that we live in, is death. Separation from God and relational and emotional death to our souls. But God loves you and me, and he wants us to be saved. If you're here today, and, I, and you've not given your life to him, you've not had him come into your life, wash you clean, and come and take residence in your heart through faith, then I want to give you an opportunity before I pray for the church to respond to God and say, God, I want to be saved. Have mercy on me. Forgive me of what I've done. And come and live in my heart and be my Lord and my Savior. Lead me in the way of life. Lead me so that I can be like you. And if that is you, with every head bowed, I want to ask you to respond just by lifting your hand so I can see where you are. And then I'll pray with you if there is anyone this morning. I didn't have faith for that. So oh, there is one. Awesome. Anyone else? Thank you. Anyone else? Lord, have mercy on me. The amazing thing is this. The Bible says in an instant, in a moment, no matter how bad you are, you could be a criminal on a cross. You got there because you did terrible things. In a moment, your sin is removed from you and he makes you perfect like he is. Anyone else? All right, I want to pray with those two. And I'm going to ask you quickly to come out because this is a big deal. Come stand with me in the front and I want to pray with you and then I'm going to pray for the church. Come join me. It's awesome. It's awesome. It's awesome. It's awesome. Look at me, not them. I don't want you to be conscious of. Thank you, Lord. Come. What I'm going to do is I'm going to just lead you in a prayer. And it's a simple thing. That guy just said this. Remember me, Jesus. I believe. You're standing here because you believe. And here's the thing. God says that in a moment, in this moment, as you say, forgive me. He will forgive you of every single thing. Every single thing that you've done, no matter how bad. And in a moment, he'll wash you clean. And then he says, he'll come and live in you by faith. He'll start to lead you. So we're going to pray a prayer. And so one, let's just pray together. And I'm going to ask you guys to speak aloud just to the Lord. God, forgive me today. All of us, please. And wash my sin away. I believe that you died for me to make me clean. Remember me and let me be found in you. Thank you for forgiveness. Thank you that in this moment, you make me righteous like you are, holy and without fault. Come into my life and be my king in Jesus' name.